Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Tina Bakehouse with us here today, who has started her own company, Tina B LLC, to provide public speaking, coaching, and communication consulting to help individuals and organizations communicate more effectively. With 16 years of teaching communication and theater, 10 years at Creighton University, a TEDx speaker and coach, Tina is passionate about educating others to become more self-aware and enhance their speaking style. After earning two BAs from the University of Northern Iowa, one in communication studies and psychology, the second in theater and English teaching, she completed a master's degree in communication studies through the University of Nebraska Omaha and completed certificates in advanced professional writing, Kiersey's temperament theory, and two levels of improvisation training. Her past positions have included Malvern Bank's chief, Malvern Bank's chief creative officer, assisting with community development and coordinating financial literacy and educational opportunities for Mills County and Golden Hills RC&D as Outreach and Communication Coordinator, promoting the arts and local foods in Southwest Iowa. Tina has performed and coordinated multiple storytelling shows in Southwest Iowa, including two teen shows. She continues to use her creative creativity, leadership, and passion for the arts to help people communicate effectively and solve problems. Tina lives at Maple Edge Farm, a 150-year-old family farm in Southwest Iowa with her husband, John, and son, Anderson. Tina, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here today. It's my pleasure, Jesse. I'm excited to be here. The farm is, I think you had shared with me something, your, your kids were the sixth generation born in that farm, is that right? That's right, great memory. Yes, my son is the sixth generation to live here in this 1880s Victorian home, which was brought in pieces on a train from Kentucky to Hastings, Iowa, and then by horse and buggy for four miles to where it's now built. And it used to house two families and now it houses three people. Wow. And, and so bought by train. So your, your ancestors picked up, literally picked up and moved from Kentucky to Iowa. Well, they actually, they got a Sears Roebuck type of kit house that came transported to them. So they landed here and then built this house, but added their own special flair to it. So there's things called pretties, the vaulted wraparound porch, and various other intricacies that the Sears Roebuck houses do not have that it does have here. How does, how does a, a sixth generation family determine who gets to actually live in the house? That's a great question. It's unusual this time around. Usually it's the eldest son that gets the house, but because my my son's it would be his great grandfather was an only child but his mother she, she actually got the house and then he got the house so it was unusual that it was given to the oldest daughter instead of the oldest son and some of the family thought that was very interesting but what's also great about this family history and story is that the two women my husband's great great grandmother uh, or great grandmother during the 40s and her sister-in-law actually saved the farm by creating little rugs and other kinds of of beautiful blankets and things with a loom in their basement. They would take a train to Omaha and sell it at Brandeis. So in the late 30s, early 40s, they actually, two women saved the farm. Wow. That's really incredible. I mean, that's, that's totally one of those, if these walls could talk kind of things. Creative problem solving, as we speak, and very entrepreneurial of them at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's just fascinating to think of, you know, we sometimes, 
at least I don't pause to appreciate this. In the in the day we are in now, where we have everything at our fingertips and we can get anything instantly on demand, and we can do our entrepreneurial endeavors from behind a keyboard, often to think that it was only but 90, 80, 90 years ago, a couple generations ago, where to do any sort of entrepreneurial endeavor, you would have to board a train, you would have to travel to another town or another city, cross state lines to set up a shop to do it, and it was an entire day process to try to pedal your product that you probably made beforehand. Mm-hmm. as opposed to where so much of our, you know, what they say, it's the information economy now, where a lot of our, our entrepreneurial endeavors are information-based, where we're teaching skill sets and developmental techniques and whatnot, as opposed to maybe the entrepreneurial piece of, of dealing with tangible goods that we might have created by hand. Right, that artisan way, and that's what's been really beautiful here in, in the Southwest Iowa region is we have a land of a lot of artisans, not only just outside creative problem solvers using, you know, the wool of, of sheep to create goods, but the goat milk to create soaps and lotions and winemakers, beer makers, cheese makers, as well as actual visual artists and performers and getting to use those skills, tap into those skills and provide a service that is useful uh, is really been kind of the thrust of our small little county of 15,000 people. Mills County is pretty small. It's the size of a, of a, a small city. And I think, Tina, last time we spoke, you told me that you had, you were making this career transition to really becoming a, a story or t- storyteller for brands. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I'm a, I, I'd like to say I, pre, I protect audiences from boring speeches. So I do public speaking and storytelling, coaching and consulting. And I work with not only for-profits, but nonprofits. And how do you share a story to make your message matter? All of us have stories to share. So whether it's at the individual level, where it's just a matter of trying to find your voice, and share your voice, or if it's at a, a startup company that's just starting to emerge and needing to get the story out. I just spoke with about 35 startups last week about how do you use you know, storytelling to boost your business, but also from the fact if you are an executive director for a nonprofit, part of getting funders as well as partners is just really clarifying the what's your why. And storytelling is this beautiful connection that we have. It's, it's, it has high stakes, a shared experience, and it, it draws us in and links what we are as human beings together. You know, it's a muscle that we work to, to understand future, future struggles that we may experience. Why, why is it that storytelling is such a, an imperative part of business, but also I, I, would, I would add into that too, it's such an innate part of our humanness. Why is, what is the, what is the human obsession or fixation with stories? We are all born natural orators of our own lives. We wake up every morning and what's the first thing that we do? We probably read the news to hear a story. We might read a little excerpt or a devotion in a book to hear a story. And what do we do at the end of the day? Well, we share our stories of our happenings, whether with our significant other or child or friends, family. We're always hearing, listening, telling stories because it's embedded within our culture. We can't not tell stories because it helps us understand who we are, the behavior that we are doing. And we root for that hero of the story as they're struggling to make it through something. So it's essential in terms of business 
because people support organizations that have really powerful stories, whether it's Tom Shoes, One for One. You love the story to hear about Blake in, in early 2000s going to Argentina and seeing these children without shoes. And he's saying, hey, help me help them. You buy my shoes, I'll help other people. That's pretty incredible. Or Southwest Airlines. I had a friend who actually lost her wallet and completely, this was in the day of pre-electronic uh, tickets and was devastated. Well, what does Southwest Airlines do? They not only get her on a plane because they recognize her as a frequent flyer, give her $50 to pay for food, call and check up on her when she gets home to make sure she's okay, which wow. is very powerful. And that makes her tell it, that transformed her life. She tells that story. I tell her story. And guess what? I'm a huge supporter of Southwest Airlines. So it boosts your business. It supports your business. You're excited to see those cool things happen. We want to root those on, but we also love hearing, you know, of devastations that people pull through. You know, we have to have conflict to make a great story. You know, the, the guy meets girl, they have a child, the picket fence, the perfect house, the perfect car, everything perfect. We don't enjoy those movies or books or stories. We want a struggle to work through because that's part of being human as well. So business stories are important, but just part of life. You know, I think about when my child was little and reading stories to him and we still, as an adult, I love listening to stories on the Moth podcast or still reading childhood books because it's, it's the, the moral of the story, whether it's a rabbit, a cat, you know, a non-human figure, we still find, you know, the transformation and what happens in the life lessons learned through the characters that tell it and do it. Yeah, I... I... I so resonate with what you said about, and especially too, we were born to be the orators of our, the orders of our life. And we do, we, we wake up and often there's the first story, maybe even before we go look at the news, the story is, is I'm tired, I need enough sleep. Oh gosh, I gotta get up and go to work, whatever it is. And we just kind of carry on with a narrative throughout the day. I, I'm wildly curious about this next part of somebody who makes a, a portion of my income and one of my biggest passions as a speaker and facilitator of workshops what are, what are the things that we need to watch out for that contribute to boring speeches? Well, <laughs> that is a great question. I think we want to ask at the core, what is it our audience wants? What do they need? It's all about them. I think at the core, if you're a speaker, you're facilitating a workshop, or you're presenting a keynote, or even merely working the room at a networking event, if you make it about yourself, you're going to have a lot of people not listening. And if they're not listening, did the speech ever really happen? So you want a healthy, happy balance of reporting information and experience through story. The reporting of information comes from establishing that you have credibility, you're an authority to speak on something and you've done your research, it's updated, it's interesting, but you add even more engagement by experience through story. And the way you do that is through simple storytelling strategies. So structure is really a part of engagement. So keeping your audience in the know. A lot of speakers fail to think through, how do I get from beats one, two, three through my presentations? And you are the vocal verbal roadmap for your presentation. So providing those signposts of sharing where you're going in your presentation is essential. But also peppering in thoughtful examples. You know, stories are 22 times more effective and empowerment, empowering than data. 
65% mm. of TED Talks are stories. That's why they resonate with us. So it's that healthy, happy balance of having the credibility, having the data, but not letting it take over. We've all been and seen you know, presentations where PowerPoint slides are taking over. They're cluttered with text. They're cluttered with way too much graphs, data, et cetera. So when you're thinking about not boring your audience, it's put yourself in their shoes. Engage them with interesting insights you know, what people want are insightful perspectives. Take that information, give a fresh new perspective, maybe even use different types of visual aids. Don't kill them with a PowerPoint and tons of text because then that PowerPoint is taking over the presentation and you are secondary. Use a prop, use a whiteboard, maybe even have a person come up and help you model something to really draw in the listener. So it's tuning into all those types of listeners, the keen aesthetic by having people by a show of hands engage in a rhetorical question, or you have the audible learner listen with a rich, rich, fun story or metaphor, or you have the linguistic learner who loves just the power of punchy words, alliteration. And you work through that in a meaningful way and you use those variety of strategies so that at the end of the day, you pique the curiosity of your audience because at the end, it is all about them. Being audience-centered is asking what do they want, what do they need. I love that. You mentioned 22 times more impactful. Is the impactful making it more memorable, more emotionally riveting? What, what would that? 22 times more memorable. Absolutely. Memorable. Okay. That was a Harvard Business Review research. And what we found is, and I've seen lots of different presentations where I work in the world of agriculture too. I've worked with Practical Farmers of Iowa, a wide range of researchers, scientists, trying to help them share their information and share stories so that people remember it. And when you do chart after chart after chart and you're talking through them, you have to give people think time and break it down. And you do that through analogies. It's, it's a lot more powerful for example, to say, you know, the story in the 80s when Jessica fell, baby Jessica fell in the well. And I remember thinking as a kid, man, if I fell in the well, that'd be awful. My parents thought if my child would fall in the well like Jessica, that would be awful. That's a lot more impactful than saying, well, every year about 20,000 children fall in a well. Well, that's too broad. It's data. We want to narrow in the focus and bring it in and humanize it. Mm, gotcha. That's great. Your clients with the with the evolving world now, and especially with so much of what we do being virtual. I actually did a keynote last week where it was a hybrid, where part was in person, part was virtual, and it's become a. It seems like that's going to be the model for the foreseeable future, and it could be the model indefinitely. So we always have some sort of virtual component, even as we're able to go back into live audiences. How do we need to evolve the ways we tell story in those in the hybrid model of communication? Well, I always recommend. I've done keynotes online as well and virtually. And I remember the very first one I did, it was terrifying because I have a beautiful, beautiful bay window. And what I see now is a green, a sea of green with crops, free range chickens and ducks and, and goats. Oh my, it's beautiful, but it's not my audience. And so that is something first to, as a speaker practice, really feeling that energy that you get naturally from in-person audience. And that, that takes some practice. It's also important to utilize visual aids in a powerful, meaningful way. I try to vary it up. I don't go click, click, click with the PowerPoint. I might have a few slides, but then I pause and take the slides down and I talk, and then I might reference my whiteboard and draw something and circle it. 
or I might engage in using a prop when I'm talking about something. If I'm talking about a glass being half full or half empty, I might reference and hold up a glass. It's, it's using visuals in a unique way that maybe you didn't before. Because what you're trying to do, people get in this da, 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 da cadence of watching webinars. We, we are a little, it's easy to get webinared out by so many things going virtually that you have to break the expectation and hook them more. So think of it as a roller coaster that if you have a three point speech and you're speaking for an hour, you want to start with a hook, get them engaged, help them choose to listen because listening is a choice and all communication is persuasive. Your audience can choose to tune you out or listen. And then you're going to have that recency of the primacy effect of the main first point being interesting. Your second main point can sometimes get forgotten. And then the recency point can be somewhat remember, memorable. So try to give some fun stuff in the middle to break it up a little bit and end powerfully. And another simple tip when you're doing this hybrid, if you're doing it from your office and not in the actual given speaking space is to stand. Give the presentation standing because that's what you would do in a normal keynote experience in an auditorium and you will feel the power, the voice will come through, the gestures, the body and the energy will, will shine with your audience. And for everybody who's just listening, Tina is, is doing this conversation with me standing. You got it. I, yeah. I, it makes me feel better. I'm more into it. <laughs> I love that. Tina, you and I, before we started recording, we're talking about the, how important it is for us to pause and take that breath. And I know as a communicator, that's essentially important. Oftentimes I feel like we get in so many troubles because we don't give our, we don't give ourselves enough time to catch up to the words that are spilling out of our mouth. But even more so just in life, how essential it is just to pause and slow down. Can you speak to that a little bit, please? Well, we're in times of uncertainty and have been for the last couple of years, really. And it's really easy in the world of public speaking. What do we do? Because more than ever before, when you're standing in front or you don't know how the audience is going to react, you don't know what's going to happen. And so that uncertainty can cause scariness, anxiety, and your body starts to react. So the first that I've realized over the course of the last few days is I'm having to be much more aware, aware of where am I at? What am I thinking, feeling, doing, and how is that affecting and influencing my energy that I'm putting forth? And what is that doing to my body? Because I've been noticing my voice getting a little bit more raspy because mm -hmm. I'm you know, I tend to speak from the diaphragm. I'm theater trained. That's where you're supposed to. But when I get stressed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm at this cadence, this that, 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 which we all get there at some point. It's taking the pause. It's taking the pause, not just from a speaker standpoint, because when you can use that in your world of presenting, your audience breathes with you. They get to marinate on that beautiful thing that you just said. And you can use, there's like three different levels of pause and speaking. It's a, a short, medium, and long length. And the longest is for emotional impact. The shortest is just to add vocal variation and to help with the aesthetics of your talk. And the medium is when you've got a fact or something new that cognitively you want your audience to, to really listen to and resonate with and, and be able to think about and get more think time. But in life, we tend to just go at a super fast pace. And when we do that, our connections with people suffer, our connections with ourselves, with nature suffer. And what I've found is the importance of allowing myself to say, okay, 
pause, not just from a vocal standpoint, from a brain mental mindset standpoint, but from also a body standpoint. And when you do that, then you're putting out the energy and it's coming back in a beautiful way. Mm, I love that. Tina, before I ask my final question, where are the best places people can find and connect with you online? Absolutely. You can connect with me at tinabakehouse.com. That's my website, tinabakehouse.com, T-I-N-A, B as in boy, K-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. I have communication insights, update a blog, verbal, you know, all things public speaking, storytelling, but also some great videos. I have a YouTube channel, Effective Communication with Tina B. I get on the top of my rooftop and share people, people, places, and possibilities, all things communication to help you think higher, bigger, deeper. Check that out. As well as Facebook, I have a private women's group where it's up level your speaker style network for professional women. And Tina B. LLC has both a Facebook group and LinkedIn. So you can check me out in all these places. I'm happy to help you reach out to me because the world needs effective communication. Tina, it just occurred to me as you were sharing that the idea of what your ancestors would think uh, 150 years old, they're moving that, picking up, moving the house from Kentucky to Iowa. And that one day, the very roof of that house was going to be used and transformed into a stage for people to communicate over, use, utilize YouTube to broadcast out to the whole world. It's just, it's, it's quite incredible when you think of that context of how much the world has evolved in such a short amount of time. Well, and when I stand up there on that rooftop and I think how much has changed and where it was over 150 years ago, I can see over 40 miles away a glow of the city of Omaha, which is super incredible. Whereas mm -hmm. 100 some odd years ago, I'm guessing that would not be the same visual that they would see. Same with the landscape and all the prairie. I mean, we have some, but not nearly to the degree that we do now. It's mainly row crop and, and lots of trees. So it, the landscape has changed and perspective has changed, but it's amazing that technology allows me to share the rooftop and ideas. That's so cool. Uh, Tina, you, you're getting ready to go on vacation and you'll, have, by the time we publish this, you'll be back from your vacation. But one of the things I'm so impressed by what you're doing is for this vacation, you had nicely shared with me that you are going to completely unplug and you've told all your clients, everybody who needs to get a hold of you that if they don't get a hold of you by a certain day, that there will be no returns for two weeks because you're going to truly unplug off of social media, off of email. And, you know, I know so many people aspire to do this. And in this day and age where it seems like we are so hardwired, I think the average person looks at these devices, their phones over 200 to 400 times a day. When we are so hardwired to be responding to any sort of ding, ring, ping, any sort of buzz or beep, any sort of notification or alert, and there seems like there's more of them and more of them than ever. The idea of breaking off of it seems wonderful in theory, but terrifying for so many. And I know people really struggle with do with that. One, what is compelling you to do that? And two, any words of inspiration to help inspire those who wish to do the same as you? Well, it's a practice, and I'm thinking this is my pause in my business and for me to be the best coach, the best teacher, the best, you know, connector that I need to be for my clients, for, for my family, my friends, and, and for all things, it's so essential to bathe in nature. It's so essential to tap into playfulness and to be that, bring out that inner child and creativity happens best 
when you're disconnected. I think about the times, what does our brain need? It needs novelty, it needs movement. And I was reading an article about that in the Atlantic and that inspired me. And I have felt ever since then that I'm committed to this. Even though I am the only person, I have a virtual assistant who does help me, but I'm the CEO, founder, chief communicator of Tina B LLC. And when I mention this to some people, they pause and it's almost a quick, well, should I check the email? Should I do, is this, I almost get into that trap of feeling guilty for taking two weeks to myself with my family, being part of nature, reading books for me to grow, replenish. But then I say, no, this is a practice and maybe it's me helping others. And so I know from a creative artist standpoint that you know, it's like Julia Cameron from the Artist Way says you need those artist dates. And I'm taking a two-week artist date with my family in nature and playing and journaling and reading. And I feel like I'll come back with a new found passion and force that will be better because I, I want to be the teacher I need to be. And in order to be that, I need the space and the breath from the da, 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 da of technology. And it can get that way, especially when you're trying to maintain so many different channels and emails and answers and responses. Now, I would recommend your second question is like, how, how, do, I, how do I get people to do that is it is a training. It's a practice within yourself to first say, okay, I'm not guilt. This is a good thing. I need to do this. We overwork ourselves. Burnout is real. So it's at first a mindset of saying, I'm doing this to be the best I can be and to grow and to be better. So change that mindset first. Secondly, it's just educating people and saying, hey, I'm doing this. No, you know, actually go forward and just be excited about it and don't apologize because you're going to be better. And I think we would be better as a culture here in, in the United States if everybody at minimum would do a couple, two weeks here and there where they just disconnect, but they reconnect with the people around them, they do that whole improvisation of being fully present, totally immersed in the moment and adding something to it because they are not strapped to a device or hearing the notifications. You know, even a year ago, I turned off my notifications. That helped immensely. So do it for yourself, your soul, and for your clients and your, your job. You will, you will feel better and everyone will thank you and you'll thank yourself. You know, I can attest to that too. I think I was 10 years ago, I turned off my notifications and it was one of the most liberating freeing things I ever did. And yes. I did not miss the buzzes, beeps, dings, or rings. It's amazing how much time you can reclaim when you do that. Absolutely. Because as humans, we just go to whenever we hear yeah. a sound or a ding and we just can't not tune into what it is. Yeah. My goodness, everyone, are we going to want to rewatch and re-listen to this? This is a really, really powerful podcast. And we might start our recap just at the end about disconnecting to become the best version of yourself. You know, you think about it, when we're, when we're born, we're not born with a cell phone in our hand and hardwired to the internet. And it stands to reason that there might be some sort of benefit to, to be derived for all of us, that if we allowed ourselves to disconnecting from what's going on in the digital world and really reconnecting or deeply connecting to what's going on in our physical world. I think so many of us, we base our physical reality oftentimes on what our perceived digital reality is or isn't that we often miss and miss out on what is right in front of us. I think that the average person spends something like, you know, again, 200, 200 times looking at their phone, anywhere from three to seven hours a day strapped to a cellular device. You think about that when we often say we don't have enough time with our friends or family, what matters most. 
turn off your phone and tune into those and you'll find the time. You absolutely will. I love that Tina talked about communication in such depth. We started with a fun little conversation about a sixth generation growing up in the house and who gets in, how they get it. And that quickly rolled into the conversation about communication and getting to the heart of our story. Remember, we're all the orators of our story. We are born to be. And as soon as we wake up in the morning, we start to tell ourselves a story or we start to be influenced by stories. If we're turning on the news, we're typing in emails, we're responding to what somebody's communicated to us. Really important to consider what kind of stories we're telling ourselves and what kind of stories we're tuning into and taking note of how those mentally and emotionally affect our well-being and our, our interactions with other people. We looked into what it takes to be a storyteller in a public speaking or any sort of communication dynamic and how to avoid those, those boring speeches that we've all been to. Remember, less PowerPoint and less charts and more stories. They're 22 times more memorable. 22 times more memorable. How much more of an impact would that make on your business or brand if you could be remembered 22 times more than you already are? Often the secret sauce may be in the stories you tell and share with others. Looking at using the different kinds of visual aids and what they could be, and especially incorporating them into those hybridized versions of communication that we're utilizing now, perhaps in public, perhaps in, in the comforts of our own personal offices and doing it over Zoom or some other form of media, but really leaning into what it means to evolve as a storyteller as we communicate in this new hybridized world that we're going into in 2021 and beyond. We talked about the different communication mediums and pauses that we can use in, in communication and how important it is to pause when we're communicating and trying to deliver a message, but more so how important it is for us to pause in life. Again, we, are, we have access to more information in, the, in a few minutes than most people had in their entire lifetime back in the days when Tina's family first took roots in Iowa 150 years ago. With information traveling faster than we can even imagine with communication always there, it stands to reason that if we all took the time to pause and really consider what we want out of our interactions or what we want to experience at any moment, how much more love, happiness, and joy is available to each and every one of us on the table? You know, it's funny, I often hear Tina people talk about wanting more of this, more of that. And, and at the core of all those things, that the moreness is usually simple things like love, joy, happiness. I, I'm with you. I think that we can find much of that if we just take time to pause. Oftentimes we speak before we think and we definitely communicate before we actually feel it out and, and get centered on what our feelings in. So for everybody watching and listening at home, you know, once you turn this off and you, before you re-engage in whatever you were doing before, take a moment to pause. Just be in the moment and see what comes up for you. Tina, thank you so much for sharing so generously today. This was a fantastic conversation. I deeply appreciate you. And I wish you an incredible vacation. Have the time of your life. Stay off of technology and tune in to those you love in the world around you. Thank you, Jesse. Same to you. Thank you. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to